Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, a couple things to get out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I can't tell you how much that really helps spread the word about the podcasts. The more listeners we get, the more guests we can get, the more old-school hockey stories we can share. Also, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots in. Thank you so much, everybody, for the feedback I got last week from our first episode back with Mike Lawler. I love Mike. He's such a fantastic guy. Cool to hang out with. I actually did that up in Massachusetts at his gym. A solid dude who I'm sure we'll definitely have back on the podcast again. Great stories and has a really, really good memory. And the guy still looks like he can play in the NHL. As I promised, we're not just going to use last season's guests and recycle them. We're going to have a little bit of that, but we're also going to have a whole new slew of players and stories on this season. And what a great way to kick it off with Paul Mulvey. Paul's situation is really, really interesting. You might not know who he is. He only played in the NHL a little bit, but he was really starting to get the hang of things. And then he was tapped on the shoulder and told to go fight during one of the games he was with with the L.A. Kings. And he didn't want to do it. And as a result, he was kind of blackballed in the National Hockey League. The year, I think, was 1982. And it was definitely a different era in society and and, and in hockey, completely different. So I wanted to make sure that we gave Paul a forum to tell his story. I think this was really important. And I'll give Paul a lot of credit. I didn't think this was going to be a very easy topic for him to talk about. And by no means was it. But he was very honest and very open about everything. And one thing that you'll take away from this is how much of a blur it is when you're playing in the National Hockey League and you're traded and you're trying to get to know new teammates and you one day things are one way and the next day things are another way. It it, it really like that's the one thing I took away from it. And in Paul's situation, he had actually started the season with the Pittsburgh Penguins, was picked up on waivers by the L.A. Kings, and the L.A. Kings were going through a transition period at that point, and he played 11 games there, and then next thing you know, this incident occurs with the head coach, where the head coach basically taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to go in there and fight, and he says, no, I don't want to do it, and it was Don Perry, and as a result of that, He went from kind of being on the top of the world and being in the National Hockey League to two seconds later, it all being over and it just being so quick in a blur. And it's just amazing to me when you're in the National Hockey League, how quickly everything can transpire and change before you even know it, really. In Paul's case, nobody wanted to touch him afterwards. And the media attention that this got at the time was crazy. People on Good Morning America were talking about it. It was a huge story, and Paul doesn't hold back. He gets into all of it and even talks about maybe what he should have done differently or how he would have handled it differently. With that said, it's all ended well. Paul's in a great spot. He's got a great family. He's had a very, very successful business career. He single-handedly also really helped grow hockey in the Northern Virginia area during the pre-Ovechkin era of the Capitals. I know he just has a grandson now as well, so I'm glad it all worked out for him. But this interview is interesting. It kind of shows a little bit of the darker side of how things 
can change so quickly for a pro athlete and for someone in the National Hockey League. So I hope you guys enjoy that. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We have a couple goodies coming up in the next few weeks, a couple bonus episodes I'm going to throw out there. Just some some things that are a little bit outside of the typical standard episode, but things I want to share. So uh, keep an eye out for those. And uh, we'll also be plugging those on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook. Here's the interview with Paul Mulvey. It really all started in the summer of 81. You just finished up your prior regular season with the Washington Capitals and the Hershey Bears. The Bears made it to the AHL playoffs where you played in 10 games. At that point in your career, you kind of had been with the Caps for a couple years. Did you feel like you were settled in? How did you feel about your career at that point? Oh, I, you know, I was uh, obviously relatively positive and, uh, you know, from a maturity standpoint, looking back at it now, um, you know, you had to get bigger and stronger and faster and, and so on, but sort of knew what I needed to do, um, and, uh, and did feel good about the, uh, season. So, so I'm not sure if you ever saw this, but there was an article published on June 11th in an issue of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and the Pens head coach, Eddie Johnson, had actually dangled a draft pick to the Washington Capitals at the annual NHL draft for your services. He really wanted you, but could not make the deal for you. Did you ever hear that? Did you think there was a possibility you might get traded? Nothing at that point. Never. No. On September 4th, it ends up happening, though. The Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette reports that the Capitals and Penguins reached a tentative agreement on the form of compensation for Washington's signing a free agent, Oris Kindertruck, and the Pens would either receive you and a draft choice or Bob Hound Dog Kelly. When you finally get traded, I know you had just gotten married. Can you walk us through kind of what you remember about that? You know, I think that, uh, and I'm not sure that, I, I don't think that I was just married. I think I was still, I, I might have been engaged at that point, but I don't think I was married a uh, year of going into Pittsburgh. The, uh, however, uh, you know, again, you, you, you're appreciative of the, uh, of the team that is picking you up and, and obviously very sad and uh, disappointed that your future with the Washington Capitals was coming to an end and friendships you've made uh, the player contacts and relationships and, you know, the, the comfort of that going away is, is very upsetting. Um, you know, my brother Grant uh, had played for Eddie Johnson uh, in Chicago. So I think, you know, I, I was comfortable and confident that he knew who I was and, and you know, my abilities and uh, and so on. So, um, that was a very encouraging, uh, you know, transition, I suppose, uh, going into to being with him. And, and obviously, uh, you're encouraged when, when a team is looking to, you know, uh, you know, request your duties for sure. Well, and you nailed it. You talked about Eddie Johnson. He knew your brother Grant. Let's talk about kind of him as a coach. It sounds like he really wanted you. Once you get up to training camp, what was your relationship like with him? What kind of coach was he? Oh, Eddie was a very good coach, very good man, and and uh, you know, I you know, from my standpoint, certainly uh, enjoyable guy that played very well with the players. Uh, spoke 
you know, very intelligently on the on the game and and what type of game and uh, what the roles were, and so very involved, but very energetic, very involved with all the players uh, with the team at that point. And, uh, so, you know, coming from Washington to Pittsburgh, and we were at that time, you know, both clubs were not in the top tiers. Um, so we had some younger players and, you know, some older veterans that needed to carry, you know, some of the younger, you know, generation. And uh, again, it was a good mix of, of players. And, uh, so I, I, and he communicated very well with all the, all the, the group and knowing, uh, Eddie and Grant's relationship, uh, you know, that was very similar to what Grant had relayed, you know, when I was going to Pittsburgh. So that's got to be comforting that you know that you're kind of going to have somebody that at least you feel not only wants you, but is going to communicate well and, and kind of give you an opportunity. You had come from Washington and pretty much up until that point, had spent your m- the majority of your professional career there. Did you notice anything different with the Penguins? Was was anything run differently? No, I don't know that you... And no, I, I, I didn't. I don't know that a player, you know, at, and certainly in that generation, gets too involved, too close with the the insight of the management, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, living the the biggest exciting deal of your life, and and so so you're not looking at the comparisons or looking at the internal, uh, you know, management components and saying, you know, what what the difference is, what's good, what's bad, um, you know, possibly that they're being guided today, and and they should be guided in that sense today, but. Uh, but at that time, my life and my career, um, it was, you know, performing on the ice, making sure that you were ready and shape, and um, and then you know, day to day, you know, struggles and you know, and highs and lows of of, of the sport. So preseason games get started, and the Pittsburgh Penguins clobbered the Hartford Whalers in the first game, nine to two. You contributed on the score sheet with oh, a yeah. goal. You also had a goal against Washington, the Washington Capitals and Hershey when the Penguins tied the Caps 3-3. So you've gotten off to a, a good camp, and it sounds like there was some stiff competition in that training camp at left wing. You had Pat Graham, Jim Hamilton, Gary Risling, Bobby Simpson, all vying for two spots as well as yourself. And you end up getting one of those spots. What did you do besides store, scoring that made you stick out? I mean... You're the new guy, and yet you still got up there. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't, you know, again, I, I was confident in my ability, and, and you know, and, and I I do remember being in in, uh, in good shape going into, you know, the season. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't remember all of the dynamics of, of it, and uh I remember the players. I, I I think I started up with uh, Mark Johnson and Peter Lee, if I remember correct. And you know there was a good uh, you know symmetry between the three of us. And and uh, you know so uh, you know and, and get my nose in front of the in in, in front of the net and, and a lot of magical things happened. So uh, so it was a uh, it was uh, you know again my memories of camp were good and 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 you know the the first part of the season for sure um you know pretty pretty outstanding 
You did start with Peter Lee and Mark Johnson, and you guys got off to a really hot start. And why did things click with you guys? And who is Mark Johnson and and, and Peter Lee? Current fans might not know about those guys. Can you fill us in a little bit with who they were? Sure. And Mark Johnson was one of the stars with uh, the U.S. Olympic team and uh, Centerman. Very crafty, good playmaking Centerman. And and, uh, Peter Lee, uh, I don't know his background was a Pittsburgh Penguin, um, you know, in the prior year. And so he was a fast skating, you know, uh, with a uh, good shot, uh, you know, um, uh, right winger that could, uh, could play the game. So, so my role was more in the mucking in the corners, getting the puck, getting, making sure that they got the room that they needed um, and the puck when they needed it. So you knew your role to feed him and get him the puck and yeah. then, and make space for him. Right. As October comes to a close, September was a little rocky, and so was October, but as October comes to a close, the Pittsburgh Penguins travel to Philadelphia to play their cross-state rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Flyers would get the best of the Penguins during this game. The final score was 6-4. to four. But what was interesting about this game is what was said after the game and who said it. Flyers head coach Pat Quinn had said it was obvious from the start the Penguins' strategy was to intimidate us and take our best line off the ice. They sucker-punched our players a couple of times, It surprised us, but we'll be ready for him next time. Eddie Johnson responded after hearing Quinn's assessment exploding, saying that's blank ridiculous. If I ever rest to those kind of tactics, I'll quit this game. Where does he come off saying something so ridiculous? They've been goons in this game for years, and now someone stands up to them and he says something like that. Well, I expect something like that from Pat Quinn, who was intimidating anyways, but I guess I bring this up because during this game, Brian Pop Prop speared Russ Anderson in the eye. This was a heated rivalry of the 70s and early 80s. Can you talk about what you remember from being on the Pittsburgh side of the rivalry when you would play the Philadelphia Flyers? Oh, I don't, you know, I don't recall that game. Sure. Um, you know, specifically, uh, would tell you that any time in those years that Philadelphia came to town, uh, in any of the cities, Washington or, uh, or Pittsburgh, I mean, there were always heated, you know, uh, battles, um, you know, some fair, some not fair. Um, so, you know, the, you know, but those were some intense games. Those were some intense games when they came to town. Very intense games, and you know, and obviously there were there was a bit of a strategy on both ends that either masked it and beat it, or you let them, you know, get into a lull and uh, you know and and fall asleep and and you know. So it you know again very very stiff rivalries and and uh, you know a, a big you know physical group that you had to match up against. So. That was their style and their their way that they would play the game. So, As the season moves on, the Pittsburgh Penguins headed to Landover, Maryland to play your former team, the Washington Capitals. And after spending so many years there, how was it returning home? And, and you'd end up getting the game-winning goal or assisting on the game-winning goal, which was scored by Peter Lee during this game. What was it like heading back to Washington? Uh, you know, again, you spend only a short time of your, your career in in Washington, you put some roots in. You you know, at that time, I think I still had my home here. 
my fiance and my wife still uh, from the area. So, you know, very special coming back home. You, you know, you've got a, a, a small base of fans uh, that followed you. So, you know, they, they want to see you uh, play the game, play it hard. And so they're always very enjoyable to come back and probably gives you a little uh, extra level of, of excitement as you, uh, you know, return to those those games. You know, some of it wears off and, uh, you know, as time goes on, but uh, but very memorable, uh, you know, as well. So, Just a few nights later on November 18th, in a 6-1 to win over the Blues, it looks like you had a little bit of a setback. You suffered a wrist injury. Do you remember what happened to your wrist? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember at all. You know what happened. I know that that, that was, you know, the, the start of the end. Um, and uh, but I, I don't remember the injury or the collision that caused it. Uh, but suffered some kind of some kind of wrist injury that kept me out for a little while. And you said it, it did start the beginning of the end, and it, it kind of did get a little rough for you from here. The team was pretty successful in November, moving into December, and they went 7-1-2 and two before losing four of the next five. Around this time, you returned to action, but it seemed like you kind of had a little bit of a tough time getting back into the swing of things in the groove. You said it yourself. What exactly happened when you came back? Yeah, you know, you don't, you know, and, and rightfully so, you know, every injured player, you know, um, in again, in, in that era and that time, you know, you got to one condition yourself, recondition yourself to be there. You have to mentally be back into it. You got to make sure that you're ready to play. Um, and then it's not fair that you know that you get to step right in, you know, back into where you were when you left. You you got to sort of earn your wings again. And uh, you know, I was struggling a little bit to you know find the combinations and find the time and possibly find the players to play with. And, and so, you know, it's a difficult stretch, um, you know, to, you know, to, to re re crack open that lineup, um, if you will. So, and the Pittsburgh Penguins acknowledge this and, and they make some changes as well. They bring in Rick McLeish, who's a former 50 goal scorer. I'm kind of curious if you got to know Rick at all. I know you weren't with him for very long, but what was he like on and off the ice? I, I'm sorry. I don't, uh, remember him much at all and didn't have many, you know, interactions and dealings uh, with Rick, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, the, the little that I do remember, I mean, it was just, it, you know, these guys are all, you know, we're all extreme professionals, very enjoyable, as is most all locker rooms. And, um, you know, so very enjoyable group of guys and, you know, the camaraderie and the the friendship, you know, was, you know, and the, and the, the willingness to go into battle with all of that group that certainly was there. So, uh, but I don't remember any real specifics about Rick, unfortunately. Well, and, and that's understandable for one, it's been 30 years. And two, you, as you said, you guys only cross paths for just a few minutes because yeah. just before new year's, your world was probably rocked when it was announced that you'd been placed on waivers and sold to the LA Kings. Eddie Johnson was so excited to acquire you. I was so surprised to see that things 
you moved that quickly. Why do you think, looking back, any thoughts, anything you can share? Yeah, unfortunately, what I was told and uh, was that, that the general manager, Baz Baz team at the time, put me on waivers without recall. Um, there was a recall, waivers with recall and, and on. So they, they everyone agreed, you know, that that go down, you know, get back into playing shape, get back in a playing mindset and so on. Uh, I think that Erie was their farm system at the time. And, uh, but that the waivers without recall and that's when uh, L.A. picked me up, so. And you got to be excited. It's better than being in Erie, Pennsylvania. At least you're going to L.A. What were your first impressions of the city, of the Kings? Did anybody welcome you to the team or reach a hand out and say hello? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, in every, you know, acquisition that happens, I'm sure, very similar. I mean, different in, in every, you know, uh, if it's waivers or a trade or whatever, there, there's an exciting part of it, and there's a, you know, a disappointing part of it, obviously. Um, so I don't, again, I don't recall, the, you know, the meet and greet. They were just going under some coaching changing and changes and management changes when I was getting there. So that's always a little apprehensive when you're when you're looking at it. Um, but again, from a from a standpoint of you know, the excitement versus, you know, the the disappointment of leaving Pittsburgh. Um, so, I and again, I, I felt that there was a good groove. I felt that there was a good, you know, opportunity for me in Pittsburgh. But you have to quickly move on and, um, you know, you know, get into the next, uh, um, you know, challenge. So and that's you- what I, I, you know, looked at. And you did move on pretty quickly. I mean, just two short days later, you contributed immediately with an assist during the January 2nd game against the Calgary Flames in a 5-5 tie. And it was, as you said, a little bit of a, of a rocky time for the Kings. They went on a road trip right away and, and on a seven-game, 10-night East Coast road trip. And, you know, that's really where you get to bond with people. What Do you remember who you were traveling with or did you have a little group on the Kings that you kind of got to know? Uh, Jimmy Fox. Oh yeah, sure. I we had him on the podcast. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think Jimmy was my centerman at that time. Um, that you know Charlie Stimmer and Taylor, and then Marcel Dion. I think were the big line. Um, and then I think a defenseman by the name of Wells, Grant Wells. Yep. Um, he and I, you know, clicked pretty well. Uh, but I don't, you know, I was there for such a short time and, you know, n- not, I think I was still in, in, uh, you know, a long-term hotel, you know, uh, so I had not even looked to get, uh, you know, any housing by the time I, you know, left. So, so you don't get comfortable enough and get any part of your reach in. And, you know, that was the first time I'd ever moved in the middle of the season. So, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting to get to know the players and your team and your line mates and your systems that you're playing and, you know, where to go, how to get there. And, um, so, you know, there, there were, you know, it was fun. It was comfortable. Um, but I don't remember, you know, 
uh, too much of the, you know, I, I, I don't even, I think we practiced at Culver City, which was an old, old public rink, if I remember correctly. And so, you know, just learning my way around uh, L.A. Which it's a tough city to learn around. And meanwhile, you're away from L.A. at this point. And as you said, you weren't in L.A. a lot because this road trip was a monster. And during this road swing, GM George McGuire decides to make a change and head in a different direction, firing head coach Parker McDonald and bringing in from the AHL Don Perry. You didn't know Parker very long. What were your, you know, the few weeks or a few days you played for him? What kind of coach was he? I think my only recollection, you know, very nice guy, very soft-spoken, not very demanding. Um, and it seemed like the, you know, uh, and, and possibly, you know, way more dynamics than, than, you know, that I would have even recognized. But, but if you're that close to being, you know, released, there's probably a lot of underlying, you know, um, personal aspects that are going on and business aspects that are going on that, that make you, you know, a little more nervous to make moves or to be assertive or whatever. But so I don't remember him being very demanding and, and real hard on any of the players. And I remember the big guns at that time really running the show more than, than anything else. That, that was uh, sort of my recollection of it. That's interesting. So Marcel Dion and, and some of the veteran guys there were really kind of running things until Don Perry took over on January 12th. His first game was against the Montreal Canadiens, and you guys weren't being able to score a win for him. The team lost 2-1. to one. But while we're on the topic of the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, this is the early 80s. They're still at the top of their game. What can you share about skating in the form? What was that feeling like? Oh, uh, you know... My most memorable, you know, memories of playing in the, uh, you know, or, or my NHL career, I can, and, you know, a lot of them are in the Montreal form, you know, and, you know, and just the, the awe of the building itself, the, you know, pure red, you know, seats, the, you know, uh, Lafleur and Robinson and, you know, I mean, these guys were just, you know, the biggest legends. I've uh, seen the banners, you know, in the that that I grew up watching, you know, in the in the rafters, you know, just unbelievably spectacular, um, you know, memories and 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 you know, and, and and the city itself, you know, having the, you know, being right downtown and snow covered and walk into the building, um, just extremely thrilling to have been a part of, of playing some of my career, you know, in that, in that, uh, material form. So, um, but I don't think I dressed that game in Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you are correct. With, you did it. Very good Perry. memory. Yeah. You are correct. Very good yeah. memory, but that building, I get goosebumps and it's one of the things, you know, by the time that I was old enough to travel, that building was gone and, and everybody's told me that and the, uh, the Maple Leaf Gardens were just so magical. So, um, yeah, Montreal, Montreal, in my opinion, you know, at that time was, was a, a, a better kept, uh, building that I don't know if they're same age or whatever it was. And 
but it just seemed to to glisten. Uh, Montreal was still a very good team at that time, and and so you know there were a lot of exciting aspects of going into Montreal. Um, I, that was my favorite team growing up. So again, put another little special uh, you know uh, a button in there that you know that against Montreal there in Montreal. Um, so whereas Toronto, you know, you know, just a, a little different uh, in the elements. Beautiful old building, but you know, um, you know, not as glistening as 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 Montreal. Well, the Kings continue to struggle under Don Perry. Following the game in Montreal, the Kings traveled to Western Canada to play the Flames and suffered a five to two loss. If that wasn't bad enough. The team lost two of its superstars during this process: Charlie Simmer and Marcel Dion. They both went out to injury. I know this is still new to you. The team is struggling, but. Is there a general vibe among the team? Do you recall? Was it as bad inside as it looked on the outside? Was were guys a little upset in the back? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't recall. No, I don't. You know, I, uh, I I forget the assistant coach's name. It was a defenseman, I think, um, with uh, Don Perry. And, you know, he seemed to be the connection, and I think it was an okay connection, uh, between the coaching staff and the team. And uh, I don't, again, I don't recall Simmer and, and Marcel Dion going out uh, on, with injury. Um, you know, as we were moving closer to my final game there, I don't, I don't recall, uh, I don't even recall playing in... Uh, in Calgary for the Kings there. So I don't know if I was part of that lineup or not. Well, the assistant coach at the time was Nick Beverly, and that's who I assume you were talking about. And No, no. Oh, it wasn't? No, no there was why I remember Nick, but I um, there was another... Trying to find it here. I, I think, yeah. So, oh, oh, well. It I, 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 and Nick Beverly was a great guy. Okay. So, well, I, I guess we should, you know, and I know this is going to be, this is the really the culmination of this interview. Following the loss to Calgary, the Kings would come home for a quick two night game, you know, stand against the Colorado Rockies, followed by a second game two nights later against the North Stars. Both games ended in a tie, and the North Stars game was a pretty rough one with your teammate Alan Hangslaben fighting Craig Hartsburg, Andre St. Laurent exchanging punches with Brad Maxwell. And then the third period, you tangle with Kurt Giles, and eventually Gordy Roberts and a, a brawl broke out. There were 117 penalty minutes. Do you recall this skirmish and kind of what led to it? And you know, was it a result of the team being frustrated? No, I, I, I'm sure that that's probably what drew a lot of it. Um, the I, I remember sitting on the bench and not getting much not getting much time at all. Um, and I, uh, and, and for a big guy sitting in, you know, sitting period, if you're not moving and you don't have any blood flow, certainly I'm not going to be able to, you know, get out and move very quickly, very eloquently. And, you know, uh, you know, so, and, and I remember sitting and then Giles was a smaller defenseman and he took my feet from underneath me in front of the net. And I, I fell on my, my rear. I was just so frustrated 
and so cold and so stiff that, uh, that, you know, that was, uh, that was about all that I remember. And, and I took a lot of that frustration out on, uh, Kurt Giles. So, and you would end up getting suspended for this. And so you've been suspended. You're kind of, it's been a rocking up and down season for you. And you rejoin the team after your suspension in Vancouver. And this game would be the one that changed your life. And I, I guess really hockey history as well. And, and it seemed like it was going to be another regular season game. And then the second period happened. And I, I guess I'll let you take it from here. Can you walk us through kind of what you remember about this game? I don't recall going into it very much that, you know, any different. Um, and then the game didn't change for me for a lot with Don Perry. Uh, I didn't get a lot of ice time uh, throughout the start of it, you know, very sporadic, nothing regular, um, and very, uh, again, stiff and hard to get into the game. Um, and uh, so that's sort of, you know, was the, the start of it. There was a skirmish that, that happened, um, and at that point, that's when Don Perry, uh, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and, and said, get out there and, and, uh, and you know, take care of somebody. Not don't recall the exact words or whatever, um, but, and, and I, that's when I refused. Uh, eventually, as it turned out, we had, L.A. had more players on the ice than uh, than Vancouver did, so I again I think if my memory serves me, Stan Smeal might have been the first one over the bench for Vancouver to equalize the the uh, the ratio. That's when the bench is emptied, um, and I grabbed Ron Delorme and. Uh, um, and in that, once the bench is emptied and, uh, and, you know, the, the mayhem began. So, and then that was, uh, that was about it. I have to ask, why didn't you want to fight? Oh, I, I think at that time, you know, there were, there, there was never a, a game that if I saw that, that one of our players was getting, you know, brutalized that I wouldn't have protected. Um, and, you know, the, and, but to be a, a, a guy that went off the bench, you know, didn't play, just went off the bench to fight somebody. Um, I wasn't going to play that kind of game. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't you. any player probably grows up. And, uh, so if you're going to, you know, if I sit there, you know, for 58 minutes and for, you know, the, the one tap on the shoulder, it's to go fight somebody. I, I, I wasn't, you know, in for playing that style of game. So, um, that's sort of how I saw my role grooming under Don Perry, which I was uncomfortable with. Understandably, understandably, that's not who you are. And you stuck up for what you believe in, which I commend you. And I don't think a lot of people could do. But at the time, I'm sure that was a difficult decision. And let's talk about the aftermath. You get back into the locker room and, and you know, does anybody say anything over the next few days? Do your teammates say anything? I, I know eventually George McGuire, 
who had been on a scouting trip, you would end up meeting with him. Could you believe kind of what was going on? No, I, I, uh, I couldn't. And, and that's, uh, you know, disappointing part of the whole deal at that time that, you know, everybody, uh, you know, you want to stay out of the, the, the mix of the verbal, um, you know, banter. So, you know, you don't want, and, and again, I wasn't a long-term player there that people knew me and character wise. And, um, you know, so, you know, you, you stay out of the mix. You don't want to put your nose in somewhere. You're not going to, you know, get into, you know, the, the, into trouble and into that. Um, at that time, I think that McGuire, um, was, you know, had, had talked to me to, you know, sort of settle down. Things are going to work out. We'll, we'll make sure that we do the right thing. And so there was a comfort of, of, you know, if LA wasn't going to work out then move me somewhere else where I could, you know, I could again, start over, uh, away from Don Perry and, and this group. And, uh, um, and unfortunately, you know, that never happened. So, um, players association, which, you know, was run by Alan Eagleson at that time was, you know, represented, you know, many players, many ownership people. And, and so, and so there was, there, you know, to protect one union member, if you will, never happened. So, um, you know, that's, you know, disappointing, but, but, you know, uh, you know, you know, disappointing from a standpoint of, you know, I, I just really never realized, you know, my full potential, um, and my ability to work through some of it. So, so, you know, over and gone and water under the bridge. So, um, that's okay. And you've done incredibly well since then and, and and kind of before we wrap things up though I, I do want to ask that was in my notes that alan eagleson said he was going to launch an investigation and of course alan eagleson just a 10 years later would you know be arrested and, and basically thrown out as the head of the union but i'm curious what your experiences were at first did you feel they were offering support or did you not get that impression at all oh no at first yeah, I, I felt that there was support there um and you know that and and then it, it sort of dwindled. Um, you know, again, I made the mistake um, of there was press there, and I believe that he had made reference to to something in the press prior to anything. And um, and and I and when I opened my mouth and I just said, you know, listen, here's here's a fact. I mean, here's the facts. I mean, you look at the ice here's you know, they, they were the first, they were the first players on the bench because we had more players on the ice than they did. And, and once I opened my mouth, then it became such a public, uh, fiasco that I, I couldn't work my way out of it. Um, and so, you know, in some of the, of the guidance that, that today's players should be guarded with is, that kind of uh, public, uh, you know, and I'm sure that they probably have some kind of, you know, that the, the 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 public appearances or whatever, you know, that that announcements that you make, 
um, you know, obviously can really hurt you. And uh, sure. so that probably hurt me as much as anything else. And uh, but again, you're you're a young athlete that you think you're invincible. You have some very good times, um, some some lower low times. Um, but you think, okay, I can fight back. I can make it through this league. Um, and you know, you're a little immature in the sense that you're up against a huge business, and uh, you know, you should shut your mouth and and uh, and and walk away and and figure it out behind closed doors, kind of thing. But so. at, the, at the same time, you know, you were trying to do that. And, and I feel like you didn't really have a choice. You had to go through the media. And and I read through the L.A. Times and, and read what you wrote. And, and you did say a few things. But so many fans also came to your aid. There were tons of fans that wrote into the L.A. Times calling for a reversal of the decision. You were eventually waived. Were you surprised, though, with how big of a deal this became? I mean, this was this was all over the papers throughout the country. Oh. Well, I'm hugely surprised, and and you know it was, you know, uh, uh, again, I mean, you know, one, you know, uh, I, 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 and I think Don Perry was fired quickly after, you know, uh, or not not long after, you know, that that Vancouver game, um, and then you know rehired when uh, litigation was filed, and then and then terminated again. So you know, I I think that that. You know, one one man can make a big difference, and, and unfortunately, it wasn't my time. So, uh, so I, you know, I certainly appreciate the support, um, and you know that that was given. I I love the game, and and uh, you know, so I was not going to play in the role that you know he wanted me to play. Uh, you know, and and you stuck up for yourself. Simple. You so, did you did the right, right thing, and yep. and and just. A couple of final questions. Did Jerry Buss, the owner of the Kings at all, ever communicate with you at all? Not, not with this reference, not at all. So. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. You would have thought a team owner, maybe he just felt that he didn't want to get involved. And, and were there any of your teammates that, that said, hey, you know what? We, we believe what you did was right, and you just got to have to bite your lip and stick through this. Uh, no, that, that it wasn't quite so uh, succinct. I, I did have... You know, um, Marcel Dion, who was a player rep at that time, um, you know, tell me that everything was, you know, that he was jumping into it and everything was going to be handled. Don't worry about it. Um, I don't remember him saying, you know, Don Perry was wrong or whatever. Sure. But, uh, you know, that, that he was going to, you know, have my back, uh, which never happened. You know, the union was not as strong or as, as it needed to be. Um, and I'm thrilled that it is, you know, to this point, um, you know, you know, taking care of the players. So, oh, it's, you know, nice to see. It's yeah. not even the same nowadays. I mean, at the time, Tony Esposito was right. the president and, and nothing against him. It just, it, it, it compared to now, there's no comparison. It, 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 right. it absolutely. It, yeah. It just ended. Um, anyways, you, you get put on waivers, you end up clearing waivers, you're sent down to New Haven and, uh, you know, throughout, you'd only play another year or so. I know you would end up going to the Edmonton Oilers camp, but did this incident put a sour taste in your mouth and make you fall out of love with the game? Did you, could you have kept playing? I mean, what led to kind of the next year and a half for you? Well, no, I, I think that, that 
I was such a media event that, you know, it would have taken longer, um, you know, for me to work through this. I think there was always a bit of a challenge, um, you know, that, that, you know, that if I was going to be that tough guy, show me you're the tough guy or show me that you play. Um, and everywhere I went, there was something else happening with another fight, another, you know, coaching disruption. And, uh, you know, it was always, hey, let's go to Moldy and see what, so it was such a, you know, uh, I was such a, uh, just a, a, a media attraction that, uh, and not for the game, not for that reason, more for, you know, going back then, what do you think now? What kind of, it was like, I have no, you know, and, and so I had to work through that. And I, again, maybe not given the right guidance, maybe not given the right, you know, uh, uh, internal guidance by the players association and, and the players and the group, um, to fight through this thing. So, um, but listen, I don't have, I think I probably was soured, um, you know, you know, originally and it's not enough to ever hurt the, 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 uh, you know, me as a, as a whole, I, I always loved the game. Uh, I stayed here in Washington, always loved the caps and, and, you know, and they were going, you know, and, and through, with Ted Leonsis, the ownership group, but, you know, they, you know, they treat all of us and not just me, but all of us so spectacularly well. Um, you know, so, so it's, you know, and I, you know, went into management, retail management for several years and then, and then into my own ice rink, uh, operation, which you've got to love the game. And, and, and so, so that's, you know, it, it, it quickly gets you back and quickly gets you back with, with the, the best part of the game is that camaraderie in the dressing room with all the players and, and all your, your stories and all the, the common stories that are, are relevant today, you know, as, as players are skating and bonding with each other and, you know, very, very similar stories and, and people's paths cross. Um, so it's, uh, you know, nothing at all that's, you know, been a bitter source in, uh, in, uh, my life for sure. It's turned out great. I know you have a, a beautiful family. I got to meet your, I believe it was your grandson at the last Caps alumni game. You're doing a ton of work now at the Caps Alumni Association. Can you talk a little bit about that? You're helping out hockey in this area. And, and for people that are listening that don't know, I, I think Paul is being a little, uh, modest, he spearheaded the growth of youth hockey in Northern Virginia by building a rink out in Reston, Virginia. And at the time, there was only one rink. And 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 he, you really, uh, I'm here. I'm talking in third person. I'm talking to you. Were instrumental in the growth of hockey with the Reston Raiders Hockey Club. But um, what are you doing now? Can you talk a little bit about the Caps Alumni Association, the work you're doing there? Well, yes, and 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 thanks for that. That's uh, you know, it, it's a you know, it's a love. That I think it, a lot of players that you know want to want to get back and teach, and when you get on the ice with the, the kids and they learn to play, you fuel them with a with the, the love of the game, the 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 excitement of the game, and it, it, there's some very easy elementary uh, learning uh, techniques that you can 
you can instill in these players that if they get and, and they get comfortable very young and very and these are very quick learning uh you know techniques then you and and they, it, it just fuels them to want to want to learn more and just you know skate more and skate faster and score more goals and and uh so uh right now the there's a wonderful uh uh program uh, that the USA Hockey uh, and I, I think the Canadian Amateur as well uh, work with all the NHL teams that that is is put into all of the ice rinks in their local markets that that for this program consists of the equipment uh, skates, helmet, everything um, and a uh, eight-week learning session that the NHL team then sponsors with a a player uh, at the first session and the final session uh, in the final Stanley Cup game that they'll play. Um, and so Craig Lachlan and Alan May and myself, we visit these ice rinks to, again, to, to, you know, help the instructors be with the kids and, uh, and uh, you know, share the love of the game. I absolutely love it. I want to thank Paul again for stopping by and sharing this story. And I can't reiterate how big this was at the time. And I guess I can't also believe is how little the union really helped him at all. It doesn't sound like Marcel Dion helped him. It doesn't sound like Alan Eagleson helped him. And let's be honest, how many times have we all been told in life, hey, everything's going to be okay. And we go, all right, well, we'll wait and see how it plays out. And in this situation, it was like he did everything he was supposed to, and it still didn't play out in his favor. So a tough story nonetheless, but I commend him for sticking up for what he believed in. And I'm sure at the time it was really, really hard for Paul to go through this and go, why me? You know, I've trained my entire life. Why am I not in the National Hockey League? Because I stuck up for what I believed in. And that said, I'm so glad to hear that things have turned out really well for him. As I talked about in the opening, he's got a great family. He had a very, very successful business career in the Northern Virginia area. And uh, yeah, so uh, I want to thank Paul again for coming by. That's all I've got for this week. I'm actually recording this on Sunday afternoon. I've barely watched any hockey this weekend. I watched a little bit of uh, OHL hockey, but I'm recording this now because tonight I got offered tickets to go to the Nats game. And while I'm not a huge baseball fan, I kind of have a rule when it's a playoffs and it's a sport, you have to go. So I'm going to be heading downtown to do that. But enjoy this episode. We'll be back with another one next week. Thanks for checking things out. One last request. Please, please, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It really helps with the algorithms. I don't know how it helps, but I just know it helps. So it'd be great if you could do that to help us spread the word of the show. Have a great week. We'll see everybody next week for another episode, Snapshots in Hockey History.